Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, Brendan S. Scott with you. This is Oilers Now. Thursday, one of the most popular days of the week. Uh, on the show, and uh, Brian Burke's coming up momentarily. Second hour of Oilers Now is brought to you by Digitex. We wish you and yours all the best during these uncertain times. Digitex.ca is Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. In this hour, Hart Levine will uh, join us from Puckpedia.com. He's done a survey on all of the uh, agents. They're not, you know, a fair amount of the agents on a bunch of different topics, including which general manager was uh, is most easiest to deal with and uh, most difficult to deal with. Lou Lamarillo, by the way, was selected the uh, the most challenging uh, for the agents. Actually, that's a great place to start as we head off on a River Creek Resort Casino hotline for Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction service, electrical prefabrication and solar. Brian Burke joins us. Brian, you were an agent at one time, is that correct? Yeah, well, I, I, I practiced law after I got out of law school. I practiced law in Boston for six years, and as part of my practice, I represented a number of NHL players. Okay. Uh, when you got into the management side, uh, were there... Uh, like we're going to have Elaine Waugh on the show tomorrow, and he—I uh, know Pete Shirelli uh, and Elaine, and they're both Harvard guys. Uh, had a good relationship. I've found that Elaine's very easygoing and does. Were there certain agents that you liked? Maybe you gave a little bit more extra time to because they're more pleasant to deal with, or they didn't BS you. Whereas you knew you're getting like that's got to be all part of the process, doesn't it? When you're in that dynamic. Yeah, I, my first reaction would be I've never felt it was a good use of a GM's time. Like, like to do to do even a minor league contract can take up to a half dozen, a dozen phone calls where you're grinding it out over small amounts of money. So when I went to work for Pat Quinn in 1987, I did all the player contracts. He didn't do any of them. Now, he was in charge. Right. You know, I would, he would come in in the morning and say, okay, here's where we are with this player. Here's where we are. He made all the final calls on what we paid guys, but I did the actual grunt work. So I the only the last time I did contracts was I did them in Hartford as a rookie GM, and I did them my first year in Toronto or, or most of them, and then I let the assistant GMs do them. And I just I was in charge, like I say. But the actual grinding it out is is not a good use for GM's time. Well, and just to put things in perspective, Bill Scott for the Oilers does a lot of that work for Pete Shirelli and now for Ken Holland. He's he's one of the guys that do, deals with the the day to day minutia of it. Were there agents that you always picked up the phone? <laughs> Were there agents that you're like, I'm not going like, to, like, uh, you know, I'm not going to. It's the same that goes with media. But, I mean, do those sort of relate? Do you end up developing a comfort zone with certain and a rhythm with certain guys where, where maybe it's easier to engage in the conversation, even to discuss the potential of getting a guy that might make sense for the team that you were representing? Well, I think we're lucky in the NHL that most of the agents are respectable guys. They're good guys. They're good at what they do. We don't have the the horror stories they have in other sports. Um, 
So I had a decent relationship with virtually all of them. I, again, I didn't actually get in the trenches with them very much, so it was easy to have a good social relationship. But we're, we're lucky. Most of the guys that represent players in our sport are decent guys. This comment yesterday uh, came out. Uh, ben Kuzma uh, tweeted it out, uh, but it was from John Oregon, the Premier of BC. From what I've heard, from those who represent players, the view is if you have to spend a couple of months in one place for the summer, Vancouver would be the place to do it. And that's not to belittle any other NHL city. Uh, well, who represents the players? We're talking agents and the NHL. So there's an interesting comment. There is, Brian, a little bit of competitiveness that theoretically has taken place. And I know you still think it's a long shot that we'll end up playing here. Uh, but right now it sounds like, you know, it's it's a bit of a beauty pageant going on between potentially Vegas, uh, Edmonton, and Vancouver. It's, it's, it's making for at least some intriguing storylines, isn't it? Well, I think Edmonton and Vancouver would both be great places to do this. I'm not sure the proximity. I know there's a new hotel adjacent to the arena in Edmonton. I'm not sure what other hotel capacity there is close by, but I'm sure that it's sufficient. You know, the McDonald's a beautiful hotel. So uh, I think both cities would do a really good job of hosting a hub group. I think the NHL has got to figure out, you know, again, I am really encouraged by the developments of the last few days. And, and I've said all along that I think it's been really hard to play. And I think 24 teams are uh, just compounding the, the odds that we're going to have a problem with this virus by having that many teams in. But I'm excited by the news. I think both those cities would be great host cities. People love hockey there. The arenas are fine. Hotels are fine. But it's, I don't, it's not going to be two months. People understand this. They're talking about a training camp. And then they come into the hub city, and they do a best-of-five play. And So four teams are going home within five days or six days. So four of those teams are going to play in the play-in round in the West are going to go home. And then the next round, if you go, now you're down to 16 or whatever, and you go to the next round, after 10 days, four more teams are going home. It's like that math is people say, oh, the playoffs are two months long. No, they're only two months long for two teams. I mean, I, I checked. Just to be sure, I got this right on the show. The night yeah. we beat Ottawa and won the Cup, we're the only two teams playing. Everyone else is home. <laughs> yes, indeed. You were, as I recall. Uh, so are you a little bit more, am I reading between the lines here, are you a little bit more optimistic than you once were? Yes. And I, I, as I've said all along, I'm still skeptical. I still think this is a deadly disease, and it's going to be hard. And by going to 24 teams, you've really magnified the potential problems. But I really have confidence in the leadership of the league. And, yeah, I'm starting to get excited about it and thinking this might happen. You know, from a purely Edmonton-centric position, I might be more inclined and prefer seeing 16 teams myself, right? Because in a 24-team model, based on points percentage, the Oilers would have to be in that play on uh, play in round. And I might just say, well, I know where Edmonton sits if it's just 16 teams and away we go. Uh, you know, the, the Oilers would be in a different spot in that scenario and automatically in and might be looking at a best of seven if we bypassed an entire round. So it's going to be intriguing uh, nonetheless. I, I, it's got to be a little bit challenging, uh, don't you think, for the players here, Brian? Especially for some of those, like, if, what do you think guys in Montreal would prefer doing? You know what I'm saying? They're, sit, they're, yeah, about tw- they're 24th, right? Right. But they, they, they got a goaltender that can win a best of five. 
that's the thing people forget. In a shorter series, the goaltending is magnified. And that's if, if I were drawing Montreal, if, we, if one of my teams was playing them, that would be my fear. That Carey Price, who is often the best goaltender in the NHL on any given night and has been many times in the past, he gets hot. You only got to win three of those games. Yeah, uh, it's, there's no question about that. Did you read anything into, uh, look, I know you follow U.S. politics. Uh, Democratic governors in uh, New York State and uh, Cuomo and California uh, opening the window for their, and it's not going to affect the hockey because the three Cali-based teams are uh, out of it this year. Uh, but do you read anything into, I mean, that's got to be another positive that uh, you've got those state governors saying, hey, uh, the opening's there for those teams to return to play. Not necessarily in front of fans. Fans, but there to return to play. Yeah, absolutely. All of these are positive developments. The initial returns on attempts to develop a vaccine, positive development. But I think that the guy that's emerged as the star of the lockdown in the U.S. is Governor Cuomo. And those were welcome words where he says, we want hockey back. We want basketball back. We want his beloved Buffalo Bills back. So to me, the, these are all positive developments. The problem is people are still dying. We don't have reliable testing, and we don't have enough testing. And for them to do 24 teams, and they're saying families might be included, so you got they're talking about a 30-man 30, 30 roster. So you got a, you know your roster of 20 that dresses, and then some black aces. So you got say 30 guys, five coaches, six coaches, five six trainers, the GM and assistant GMs. You're talking a party of 50 people probably that would have to be tested daily. I still think it's daunting logistically, but it can be done. And, and you yeah. can do it with a, with a lockdown concept with hotels walking distance from the arena or a short bus ride. You can, I think, try to keep the players safe. And no fans in the building, okay, we'll get the game back on TV, that's great. It can be done. I still think the logistics are daunting, but it's, got, it's all good news. You know, look, I, you know I do the radio with Jack. I'm not counting on if Edmonton ends up in a, a pod in Vancouver, Vegas, or wherever. I, we're, to me, we're going to be doing play-by-play off of whatever the the the, uh, the, the, the video that is provided from the, the, the host site's going to be. Like, I, I think it's unlikely that we'd be traveling. But you mentioned something about the family traveling. Do you think that's feasible, given the challenges out there? Like, again, especially given the fact that there's going to be, you know, teams getting eliminated out of this situation fairly quickly. Yeah, I, I mean, the players have said it's important to them, and I, I saw Devin Dubnik's comments, and, and I take those to heart. When, I, when the players say they don't want to be away from their family for four months, I get it. I wouldn't want to either. But it's not going to be four months. It's going to be a three-week training camp max, maybe two for me. Mm-hmm. Then you've got these play-in games, and while the play-in games are happening, I think the concept is the top four seeds would play each other once each. And so that they would get three tune-up games, they wouldn't be starting the second round of the playoffs playing a team that had just played in a playoff round and then sitting home waiting. So you're talking about, again, so on that scenario, after five or six days, four of those eight teams in the play and then go home, and now you're down to 16. Within 10 days in a best of seven, now another of those 16 teams, eight go home. So the math isn't, it's not two months for most of the players. The only guys that are going to be there for two months are the guys that go all the way. And I've never heard a player complain about going all the way. No, absolutely not. All right, we're going to have some fun here. Uh, Alice Hemsky, uh, 
announced his retirement this past week. Uh, it's my my theory. Uh, actually, it was late last week, early this week. My theory is he was way tougher than the average fan thought or maybe got credit for because he took a beating, he took a look at it, and he kept on ticking, and he drove the net hard. And, and I think of the Sedins that you had in Vancouver. And uh, to me, they showed real toughness because they didn't alter their game and they didn't get dissuaded. You had those guys, that were, you know, there was Nilsson and Hedberg in the uh, days of the Winnipeg Jets. Have we defined toughness maybe the wrong way at times, Brian? Yeah, well, no, I, I think what I would say is this, there's different kinds of toughness. And, and there's value to toughness that a player brings to the game by being truculent and belligerent and fighting and all that. But there's a quiet toughness, too, which which is a guy I would define like Greg Adams that played for me in Vancouver. Greg never changed how he played the game. It didn't matter how rough it got. And I would say with, with Hemsky, it was the same. I remember the year that we lost to Edmonton in the conference finals. He had a really good playoff. He had some really good years for uh, for Edmonton. And, yeah, he was not afraid. He would take the puck into the dirty areas. He would take a hit to get a scoring chance. He had respectable penalty minutes himself, too. I never thought of him as a small-skill guy. I thought of him as a, as a guy, high-skill level, that would pay a price to score a goal. You brought the Sedins to Vancouver. I mean, they took, uh, you know, I, I know you were eliminated by Boston back in 2011. You'd probably like to have the third period of that game back, as I recall. Uh, or was that 2013? I'm trying to remember which year it was. Uh, anyhow, I don't know. You were long gone by that. Were you? You were long gone in 2013 when that occurred, when the great comeback happened. Yeah, I was. Out, I was out of Vancouver in 2004. No, in Toronto. I was Tor- out of that one too. That, I got fired that January. That okay, played in the playoffs that spring. But thanks for bringing that up, Bob. Hey, you guys. Well, the team you built, Brian, almost knocked off the Bruins and went to the Stanley Cup final. You built that yeah, team. Well, this, uh, if you go back again with the Sedins. Um, they, they took a lot of physical abuse and, and never yes. changed their game, continued to be stars. Obviously, when I left, the commitment to tough hockey was diminished a little bit, too. I never watched them get pushed around like that. I never would have. But, but after I left, it was a different uh, – you know, Dave Norris had a little different approach to the game than I did, and Mike Gillis after him. But, uh, yeah, toughness, a lot of it – the quiet toughness is guys that don't care. How rough the game gets. Greg Adams would watch six fights happen in the second period, and he'd come out and play the exact same game, shift after shift, competitive as hell. Yeah. Still there, Brian? Did we lose you? Yep. No, so, uh, and Pavel Bure, went, I remember when he elbowed Shane Sherlin in the head. That was awesome. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I'll, one final one for you. We just finished watching Last Dance about Michael Jordan, a 10-part, 10 10-episode 10 series on one of the greatest players and gave us some real insight into it. And people have a lot of different opinions. Is there an athlete out there? that you would be intrigued to see a 10-part, a 10-episode uh, series on a retired player? Because uh, I think it would be difficult to be a, do a current guy. But is there – I don't know if you could do it, but is there a guy out there that you might uh, be interested in seeing? A, a guy I really admired his whole playing career, and I got to know him pretty well, and then was a, a manager who was a peer of mine. But a guy I would really like to see a documentary on is Bobby Clark. Like, people mm-hmm. forget how good he was and how mean he was and how competitive he was. I think I'd like to see a documentary on him. Uh, 1972 Summit Series, right? Broke Valerie Harlamov's ankle in Game 6. Yep. And uh, obviously led the Flyers to back-to-back cups. He was, and, and I'm told he was a real good guy to deal with from a, a management perspective. Is that correct? 
Yeah, he was. He was a, he's a gentleman for a fierce competitor, but uh, very professional to deal with and, uh, and a good guy, too. All right. Awesome stuff. Brian, thank you for your time. Thank you, Bob. You bet. That is Brian Burke for our friends at Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction service, electrical prefabrication and solar. Hart Levine coming up from Park uh, from Puckpedia at 135. We'll step out. You're listening to Oilers Now on 630 Ched. 630Ched, the play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers and the Edmonton Eskimos. Hi, this is Connor McDavid from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chad. Thanks a lot, Connor. So a 10-episode series on an athlete. Hmm. 780-496-0063. Give me your best shot. Who would you, uh, for those of you that have seen Last Dance, and I don't know how you can do it. I mean, obviously, they, they had a lot of extra footage, and it was pretty interesting. I heard they, they interviewed over 250 people for it, and then ended up only using about um, about 105, 106 uh, of the actual uh, individuals interviewed for it. So that's, that's interesting. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. I'm going to throw a name out right now. And it's not a surprise to anybody that's listened to the show over the years. I I would like to find more footage and get in. Like uh, Bo Jackson is not a, uh, a guy that overly uh, enjoys the media, but you know ESPN ranked him the greatest athlete of all time a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, you have to be pretty good if you can uh, have, uh, at the time that he retired, I think the highest per carry average in NFL history, and he was an all-star in baseball as well. I mean, he played in the, the all-star game in baseball, was the MVP, and also was an all-pro in football. So uh, Bo Jackson was pretty freakish. I, you know, you had obviously the whole Bo Nose campaign. So I don't know if you could do it, 10-part series. It was an unbelievable run in the late 1980s, early 90s. And when you watch the highlights of him, and how freakishly fast he was, and how explosive he was. Uh, I'll throw a Bo Jack. I mean, look, this show's called Oilers now. You could do a 10-part series on Mark Messier or Wayne Gretzky. Brendan, who do you got? Well, you know what I saw earlier today? I think they're doing one on Tom Brady. I want yeah. one on the entire Patriots dynasty. I want an in-depth look at, at Belichick and and what goes on behind closed doors there because I, I just feel like there was so much, you know, even before the scandals, it's just such a, a well-oiled machine. I want to know how. I want to know why. So that, that that would be an interesting one for me. For you and I, Bob, I mean, like, I think Wayne Gretzky is an easy one to overlook because we've been so closely tied to it and certainly yourself. Um, but as far as the rest of the sporting world, and that's probably an interesting story as well, just to have that documented a little two, bit differently. Two names have come in from the Stoffer household. Alexander Ovechkin. I mean, he is a bigger-than-life personality. So Alexander Ovechkin and David Beckham. Hmm. I, you know, it's interesting with David Beckham. I mean, people forget this. In the late 1990s, early 2000s, even though he wasn't – I mean, you could – argue that Zinedine Zidane was probably a better player than David Beckham. Um, and the only mistake that Zidane made in the 2006 World Cup is he didn't headbutt that guy from Italy hard enough. 
he should have made it count. Uh, and he did, of course, win the World Cup in 1998. Uh, scored an unbelievable goal in the 2002 uh, Champions League final. Did uh, Zinedine Zidane. Actually, you know what? I think Zinedine Zidane would be a really interesting one, Brendan. Think about it. I mean, he was a fantastic player. Uh, he led Real Madrid to three consecutive champions. He's a huge star internationally. And he had one of what would be considered one of the most brutal moments in sports history. Like one of the worst unsport. What's cons- many would consider it to be the top most unsportsmanlike moment given the stakes. France playing Italy in the 2006 World Cup final. And who was the guy from Italy? Was it Mater- Where's Gene Principe when you need him? Uh, was it Matarassi? He, he headbutted a guy for making a comment about Zidane's sister that uh, Zidane didn't like. And again, I think he should have headbutted him harder myself. But uh, anyhow, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. We can have some fun with that. We've got uh, Hart Levine coming up from Puckpedia 1235. Brent Ridge Ford and Wetaskiwin focused on your health and peace of mind. Now that the world is finding its new normal, Brent Ridge Ford is clearing out brand new 2019 Super Duties to make room for the 2021s in the fall. Discounts up to 18000 on new 2019 F350s. There's just seven left on the lot. Uh, you can uh, go out and check them out. Give Uncle Milt, Rich, Johnny, and the gang a call, 1-877-477-3673, or visit BrentRidge.com. Cars cost less in Wetaskiwin. Again, you can text us at any time at 780-496-0063. Hacksaw says, Bob, uh, you're bang on with Bo Jackson. The power and the speed he had makes me to think he would have been uh, one of the greatest head-to-head sprints of all time. Or, oh, well, Hacksaw, you're scoring points here. You're bang on with Bo Jackson. The power and the speed that he had makes me think of one of the greatest head-to-head sprints of all time. You versus Robin Brownlee. That comes to us from Hacksaw. It was a close one. It was very close, and it was in front of all of the Edmonton Eskimo players. And I fell with 10 yards left in the 40 dash and did a forward roll and still beat Robin Brownlee by three seconds. Uh, the last dance has to leave everybody wanting a Dennis Rodman docuseries. There's more to that ferocious rebounder than just a guy who wanted to party. Another texter says, Bob, what about John McEnroe? Uh, Phil from GP says Trevor Linden. Uh, this text comes in, Bob, Muhammad Ali would be my choice for a 10-part documentary. I, okay, I did not know this. Greatest three-sport athlete ever, uh, Andy Brown, NHL goaltender. Well, I remember the goalie, Golden Gloves champion boxer and super-modified car race driver. Did not know that. Oilers uh, GM, Bob, you're right. It was Matarazzi uh, who uh, Zinedine Zidane headbutted. You can text us at 780. Bob, what about uh, the goalies? Uh, what about Patrick Waugh or Martin Brodeur? Ed Belfort. Now, I think goalies get too much attention, except Grant Fuhr. He never asked for any extra. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Kerry McCarthy. We'll come back with Hart Levine from Puckpedia. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.